Now we are con- uh, continuing in 1 John chapter 4. And if this is your first time with us, what we're doing during this series is this is an opportunity for you to not only uh, just experience or to learn about First John 4, but also to participate. So there'll be some questions I'll be asking. If you would like to ask a question or if you would like to uh, make a comment or I will ask at times for you. Some, some feedback from you, I would love for you to participate. And one of the reasons we're doing that is it's very easy to sit and listen and just walk out of here and, and not think another thing about it. But when we engage our minds and our hearts and we're thinking through critically what we're hearing and we have the opportunity to take part, it has a tendency to make it become more real for us and long-lasting. Um, so we, we have had a great time coming through, John. I had set aside a week per chapter, which was really naive, um, but we are now in part eight and only on chapter four uh, of First John. So we have chapter five of First John, and then we have second and third John. Each of those are just one chapter each, um, and we're going to be going through those. So far, John has been marrying the reality that to follow Jesus means that we are walking in two ways. We are walking in love, but we are also walking in truth. It is this constant tension that we at times feel between living a life of holiness and living a life of love. And in our culture, uh, it feels like you have to choose one and you have to hang out in one. I either have to pursue holiness and righteousness and right living and right doing and serving and giving and all the doing things, or I need to just, you know, love and just be accepting and just let people feel okay around me. And it feels like that you have to choose a camp. That's what our culture wants us to believe. And yet what John is saying is, if you're going to follow Jesus, you are going to be doing both. You are going to be loving people, but you must walk in truth. And he's been trying to demonstrate demonstrate that in different ways to these churches in Turkey, that this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. Now, we are going to make a bit of a transition for today, and then next week we'll pick back up uh, on his huge focus on love, because he stops for a minute after saying, if you love Jesus, you're going to follow him. If you're following Jesus, you're going to obey his commands. If you're going to abide in Christ, and he's going to abide in you, that means walking in truth. And yet also you are going to consistently be called on and you are going to have the opportunity to love each other. Now, if you embrace these ideas, John has for us today a warning. And the warning is you can be led astray into places that will hurt you. And you need to be aware and you need to be paying attention and you need to be intentional. Now, the reality is, if you want to be a healthy individual, you cannot be healthy accidentally, right? It would be nice to do that. I accidentally had a Big Mac every day for lunch this week, and I lost weight. It was amazing, right? No one's ever said that. No one's ever said that. You know, I supersized every time I went, and it was amazing. I feel even better than I have ever felt in my entire life, said no one ever. You have to be intentional about being healthy, whether we're talking about our bodies, whether we're talking about emotionally healthy, whether we're talking about our minds or what we believe. And if we're talking about our relationship with Christ, you have to be intentional to be healthy. And what John is going to show us is that if you are not intentional, then there is an, there is an adversary that is working to mess you up 
to keep you unhealthy. And in fact, we can't at times believe if we hear that voice and we are not intentional, we can believe we are on the path to health, but actually be on the path to being destroyed. So as we go through 1 John chapter 4, I want us just to, if you've got your Bible, open it up. If you want to follow along on version, you can do that. We're going to read the first six verses together. So 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, we're going to continue what we've been doing the last few weeks. If you would stand with me, we're going to read this together. First six verses of 1 John chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and... Have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Thank you. You can be seated. So I want us to walk through this, and this is one of those collection of verses that you can easily go, oh, I got it, I got it, I understand what he's saying, no big deal, move on, let's go get to the good stuff, because he's going to pick up with one of the most iconic places in scripture that talks about God and love by saying God is love. It is an in- a hugely important part of this first letter of John, and what he is introducing this with is be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you listen to. Now, it's easy for you just to say, okay, I'll be careful who I listen to. It's easy to say, okay, I just need to be careful that I am not influenced by the wrong thing. Yeah, I I just need to be careful that I believe the right things about Jesus. And you can just go right through this and miss the deeper things that John is trying to tell us. So we're going to slow down and we're going to spend today on these six verses. This is all we're going to try to accomplish today. And I'm going to try to get us done so that our children's workers are not going to wonder when we're done because we've been going kind of long lately. It's totally your fault since you all are talking, right? Not mine. That's the way it works around here. Uh, No, I'm kidding. It is totally my fault. But we're going to go through these six verses, and I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through here because there's some meaty stuff for us to consider. But only if we do the very thing that John is encouraging us to do, and that is to examine what is being said. So let's start over with chapter 4, verse 1. Do not believe every spirit. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. What John is saying and what you know, whether or not you consider this on what you believe about Christ, is that what we believe or what we think has great influence over how we live. See, whatever your thoughts are, wherever they are, whatever you're thinking, what's going on in your head, that's where you will live. If you're constantly telling yourself, I'm not good enough, you know, I, I don't do anything right, I've got no value, God can't use me, I'm just a big screw up. If that's the, the real that goes on in your head over and over and over again on Rewind, 
then you're going to consistently live through life feeling like God will never do anything significant in you or through you because you don't feel that you actually are able to do that. Alternatively, if you feel like you're the greatest thing that has ever lived on the face of the world and God has just blessed the world with letting them experience you and that is what's on rewind, on replay in your head, then you're going to consistently miss what it looks like to know Christ and to follow him. Our thoughts, our beliefs, they actually direct where our lives go. You see, we need to have a balance of both in which we have a level of brokenness and of humility that says, I realize I don't have it all together. But we also have to have a level of confidence that says, God could do anything through me. There's a balance in what we say and how we live and what we believe. And there's a lot of people that make a lot of money to help you think the things they want you to think. So that you'll believe the things that they want you to believe. There are a lot of people that this is not only how they make their living, but they make a very good living at it. Some of the things that you have in your home, you would never have purchased had a very smart group not convinced you that that's what you needed. You need a hose that shrinks up into a small little bucket that you can run a car over and it won't break, which newsflash, it will break. It always breaks. They always break, right? You've got to have an Alexa. In your house, don't you? Okay, it's recording you. No big deal. There are other people listening in on your conversations. No big deal. You had a thought. You know what? I think I think I'm going to get a Starbucks. And now you have 15 Starbucks ads that are popping up all over everywhere you go. But it's no big deal, right? There are a lot of people that make a lot of money telling you what you should think. And we have become so conditioned that we listen. Oh, that is what I want to do. Oh, that is what I want to buy. Oh, that is who I want to vote for. Oh, I really don't like that. And sometimes we just willingly let those voices speak to us. Now, they didn't have Alexa. They didn't have the internet. They didn't have uh, cable news that goes on 24-7. They didn't have all the things that we have today. And yet they still had this same problem that if we do not critically assess the world around us, we will follow whatever path they want us to go. And he's warning them about this. Whenever he talks about this, he's telling us that if you are not testing all the statements that you hear, if you are not assessing everything that's taught here, if you are not assessing every message that comes across your Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat feed, if you're not critically assessing those things, you will be pulled in a direction and you may not even realize it. Voltaire said this, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Isn't that true? Yeah, and there's all kinds of places that we see this in the world. And we, we do see this in Islam where you have, if I perform this thing and kill the infidels, then I'm going to be in heaven with so many virgins. But we also have this in Christianity <laughs> in which we will take you out if you disagree with us on certain things. We have the Crusades in which as Islam began to grow in Europe and Asia, the church decided to wipe them out, and they did at the edge of a sword. 
There are all kinds of people that have that ability to change the way you think. And if you give them the ability to tell you how to think, they can take you places you would never go if you were in your right, healthy mind. Now, we talk about this in a number of different ways here. We talk about uh, the ability of pursuing a healthy relationship with God in the sense of being your false self or your true self. That person in which you have become that is uh, influenced by sin, influenced by the world, it is in our worst place. It is whenever we are not fulfilling what God has called us to and our true self and which uh, we are becoming that which God originally created us to be. The idea of being restored in that place that Jesus is taking us to that won't be fully fulfilled until we're in heaven with him. But that moving towards health, we do talk about healthy and unhealthy And these are all things that John is trying to make his readers aware of because he knows that these are the problems that they face and that there are people that are trying to tell them things that aren't true to get them off of what is true so that they are following the path they want for them to follow, not the path that God does. And it is very true. False beliefs will lead to a false faith. You know, when I get together with other pastors, we always joke about the, all the statistics that say Chattanooga is the most Bible-minded city in the United States. We just laugh. <laughs> you talk about the number of churches and the number of nonprofits that are in Chattanooga and, and this sense that Chattanooga is so healthy. And yet, the other statistic that seems to pop up that doesn't seem to make the news so much is we're like one of the top five most dangerous cities in the country to live in. <laughs> most Bible-minded city. Top five most dangerous city. As per capita. Clearly not uh, uh, like Chicago or New York. But for a city our size, we've got some problems. And if we're the most biblically minded, shouldn't we be the place in which God is doing the greatest things around us? We just laugh. The reality is that most people don't read their Bible. Most people don't even know what most of the Bible says. They can be Christians their entire lives and still not read God's word. And in those instances, it's so easy to have false beliefs. When you have those false beliefs, it will lead to a false faith. One of the most fear-inducing things that Jesus ever says, I believe, in Scripture is when Jesus says, there are some of you that are going to stand before me, and you're going to say, Lord, Lord, and I'm going to say, no, I'm not your Lord. You don't know me. Depart from me. Leave. This is not for you. That is, for me, the most fear-inducing place in all of Scripture. Hang on, hang on, I'll come back to you, Knox, all right? False beliefs will lead to a false faith. In Acts chapter 4, as Peter's preaching, he says this, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. Johann Wolfgang Goethe said this, None are more hopelessly enslaved than those who falsely believe they are free. It is possible even within our faith that we believe we are free and yet we have believed so many false things that we are still enslaved. Could there be anything worse than that what he's saying in this first verse right off the bat is that there is a spirit behind every spiritual statement 
When we look at this, what spirit is he saying is already in the world? Somebody. Spirit of the Antichrist. You remember what we talked about, who the Antichrist is? We often think the Antichrist is a person, and yet this is the second time so far in this letter John's brought up Antichrist. Who is it? Who's the Antichrist? People against Christ. Anyone who says that Jesus is not God. Yes, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Son of God is the Antichrist, which is at its core something that we can easily read over and say, oh, I believe he's a son of God. At times we have to say, well, do we? Ox, do you have a question? Um, before I, something I thought about earlier. Yeah. You were talking about how things like take information from what you've been doing and done and give you ads and such. Yeah. In my opinion, that's more for a convenience sake. Oh, we know what you've seen, what you like. Mm-hmm. This could be what you would like. And then there's also... I also agree with having ads for things like that because that's the way free websites like Facebook, news websites get, mm-hmm. like, can stay open a lot. Yeah, so you see some benefit in that. Yeah, 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 yeah okay. Um, there is a spirit behind every spiritual statement, and there is one that's already in the world. Let me ask you this, and I want you to take a minute to think about this. What are the implications for Christians that this is true? That there is an intentional voice in the world meant to mislead you? What are the implications for Christians? It's already here. It's been here. Been active for a long time. Donna? We have to have some measuring stick to determine what is true and what's not true. But if we have the measuring stick and we never use it, then how can we possibly know? Yeah. Um, so you don't just like willingly accept everything everyone tells you. Like you don't just say like like if someone because I mean there's people that like they say they're. Um, they say they love the Lord, but they actually don't. You know what I mean? Um, and there's a lot of people who will say things that aren't actually biblically true. Mm-hmm. So you have to like really kind of like think about it, and you don't just accept everything everyone says right. immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, you know, Critically assess what you hear. Yeah. How does this measure up to what I really believe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. What are some other implications for us? Yes. It feels natural to just go with the flow. And just kind of, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Oh, yeah, I mean, that doesn't sound quite right, but I don't think it's that bad. Let me ask you this. What are some of the things that we believe today, maybe even in the church, maybe specifically in the church, what are some things that we have believed that have become toxic in our culture? Um, one that I used to believe is like, God will never give you more than you can handle. And I oh, that's like so, so good. It is a lie. Preach it, Renee. 
It is a lie that God will not give you anything more than you can handle. Yes, yes, I believe that is a complete misinterpretation. Absolutely He will. Absolutely He will. But He will be there with you through it. One of the things that came to mind for me is this constant toxic belief that no matter where you go, you will hear it. It is the belief that it is us versus them. You can apply this universal argument to just about any area of life. It is us versus them. What else? Did you have your hand up? No? Yes? Mm. Okay, that you can't say that again. You can't. You should just stay with your people. Yeah. Stick with your own people. Yeah. Jesus, boy, he threw that one out the window. Paul certainly did that. What else? Oh, watch it. Watch it. God's behind one political party or another. They're both bad. They're both bad. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It is it is one of one of the ways that Christians are most easily manipulated is you put God behind an issue. And if we do not critically assess what is happening, we jump right in. Oh, you're not going to talk about God like that. And yes, we are so easily manipulated in that way. What else? What are some other toxic beliefs? Oh, here they come. Now they're coming. Yes, ask for anything. That's a scripture, Rick. The Bible says that, Rick. And especially if you mail in money. Listen. I'm going to wipe my sweaty brow with a towel and I'm going to sell it to you. I mean, I mean, for a donation for a hundred bucks. Let's do it. Let's do it. Listen, come down here. I'll spit on you with some holy spit while I'm preaching, but it's going to need a hundred dollars right here for it to do any good for you. What else? Bunch of hands went up. Yes, Ashley. Mm, people who commit suicide go to hell. Mm. Yeah. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that. There's nowhere in Scripture. And, you know, in all likelihood, some of that probably developed over what, how often toxic beliefs develop good intentions to keep people from pursuing, to keep people from committing suicide. If they think they're going to go to hell if they do this, maybe they won't do it. I, but yeah, it, is a, it can be a toxic, it, toxic belief in that it can truly hurt those who are left behind. Yes, yes, very good. What else? Christianity to believe in that and I'll be fine. Yeah. And they're kind of like abusing that grace that is freely given, but they're like using it to yeah. bolster whatever. That was, sin they're wallowing in. 
Yeah, that was, that was part of my rationalization before I became a believer. I'm going to live my life to the fullest. And then when I get about 40 or so and life goes downhill, <laughs> then I will give my heart to Christ, which everyone over 40 is like, yeah, upset. But I was, you know, maybe, you know, 12 when I thought that, that once, I mean, there's no more life after 40. I mean, you're just kind of waiting to die. That's what you think when you're, you know, in middle and high school, right? And then you get to 40 and you're like, oh, I'm just, I feel like I'm 20. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't feel like you're 20. You feel like you're 40. You just want people to think you feel like you're 20. But there's a lot of great things that happen in your life as you get older. Kind of um, piggybacking off what she just said, in Romans 6, it says, um, for, he, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. So dead to sin and alive in Christ. So like you can't really be living for the Lord if you're living in sin. We kind of already talked about that. Right. So like, and like there's people like at my school that have said, you know, like I know I shouldn't listen to this kind of music, so I just listen to it. And then as soon as the song's over, I pray, ask forgiveness, and then it's over. Because God put it on the earth and I'm going to do it. Right. And I'm like, no. That's good. That's good. With the shows we watch, the music we listen to, we just let it have a free pass. It's one of the most influential voices in our world is the music we listen to because we just we just zone out, but we still hear the hear the lyrics. Yeah. I think two things: our happiness. I think that Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Another one I wrote down is that there's not enough. It's the idea of scarcity. I got to get as much as I can get now because there's not much to get. And I got to get mine before you get mine. So I'll hoard as much of whatever it can be. I'll hoard as much stuff. I'll hoard as much money. I'll hoard as much reputation. I'll hoard as much praise. I just, I got to have it. There's not enough. I got to have it. Yeah. The idea of scarcity is killing families. Uh, it's putting people in poverty. It's keeping people in poverty. I, I just think it's so, I, you know, it has just made me so frustrated, this Apple card. Y'all following this Apple card that's out now? Goldman Sachs card, you know, the upstanding uh, moral bank um, that they are. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just all you need is a recent history and what Goldman Sachs has been a part of. And now Apple has teamed up to have this Apple card. It's a titanium card that you can't put in your wallet because it won't work anymore. And you have to polish it in a certain way or it won't work anymore. All the while, it is flying off the shelves. Well, you can't really get it on a shelf. You've got to have it come, you know, mailed to you. And you can only pay for it through your iPhone, which guess why that they're doing the Apple card? Because how many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you are in credit card debt? Scripture says that the borrower is slave to the lender. 
And there are many ways in our culture that we willingly enslave. Some of you are going, man, my Apple card's on the way. I'm not listening to this. (laughs) Apple wants to enslave you. Goldman Sachs wants to enslave you. Citibank, as cool as their, their commercials are, want to enslave you. This is the whole reason we're offering a financial peace university, because there is freedom being out of debt. And if you are in debt, which most people are, and if, you're, if you are a young family, you're probably already leveraged to the hilt. Now you can't even go to Android, not that you would want to, but if you did want to, because I can't pay my bill for my Apple card on an Android phone. Android's better. Clearly, Aaron is not getting the Apple card. So you're good. He's waiting for the Android card to come out. Right. So, you know, it's just, it's this pretty, pretty, it's this, it's, it's, it's this chain in a pretty box that you're theirs. You, you belong to them because we have so believed the idea of scarcity. I've got to get, I can't afford it. I've got to get it. I've got to get it. And I get it. Listen, this is not me judging you. I get it. But the idea of scarcity keeps you stressed out, keeps you poor, kills your hopes. God says, I want you to go do this new thing. I can't. I got to pay off debt. And you get a shiny new one in the, in the box. And now I'm ready to use it. I want to use it. Look, I'm using the Apple card. It's like we're proud of the people that enslave us. All right? Somebody back here? Yeah, Vicki. It's true. There's a difference between digital natives and digital immigrants in the way that technology is, views, is viewed. Those of us who didn't grow up with technology in the crib, um, and we've kind of learned it later, we recognize, oh, some things are really important to us, like privacy. You know, like people not listening in on our conversations is highly valuable to us. And yet, when you're used to it, you don't know what you've lost yeah. 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 All right. We got to keep moving. You got to keep moving. Some others I wrote down. I have to prove my love for God. Uh, we're bad in the church about that. Prove it. Prove it. Uh, nowhere does Jesus say you have to prove it. He just says either you do or you don't. I mean, it's, there's no proving. Either you love me or you don't love me. If you do love me, then it will be demonstrated in the way that you live your life. But we, we make all these areas that you have to prove it. Another one that I, that I, I, uh, I wrote down that uh, Leslie was really alluding to, I, I should only love people that look, act, talk, vote like me. Those are the only people I can be close to. That's that, that us versus them mentality. And, and the reality is, is we cannot be farther from God's character when we believe that. Because God is the one who made the highest mountains and the lowest trench in the sea. <laughs> he's the one that made the desert and made the oceans. You know, he's the one who made dogs 
And cats for some reason. I don't know why, but he made cats too. Like the antithesis of the dog, right? The one that mocks you and judges you and hurts you and would kill you, steals your breath out of babies in the middle, at the middle of the night. You know that's all true. God created both of them. He's a God of diversity, right? I don't know. Some of you who have cats are, you're, you're like hissing at me. I can hear you now. You're hissing at me just like your cat would, right? Um, God is a God of diversity, and yet when we live our lives in such a way in which you have to be just like me for me to love you, we cannot be farther from God's character. We cannot be farther from his character. He goes on, and when he's talking, so we spend a lot of time, because this is crucial, that there is there are influences in the world that will lead us away from Christ. And he is going to great lengths to say this. That you cannot know the difference between these spirits, the spirit of God and the spirit of the Antichrist, without testing them. It's been said that talking about the digital generation, this, these, you guys have more information at your fingertips than anyone ever in the history of all of creation has had, except maybe Adam and Eve. <laughs> and yet, how do we use it? Do we know how to use it? Do we critically assess? You know, we all hear the reports. This is fake news. No, this is fake news. No, that's fake news. How do we critically assess what is real and what is not? Why would we give the power into someone who would intentionally mislead us? Why do we give them that power and just say, okay, and let them dangle a carrot in front of us and us go? John sees this as a problem even then. And he says, you have to test them. Now, to test means to be familiar with or to examine. It doesn't mean that I go, oh, sounds good. That is not a test, right? That is not a test. Oh, sounds good. It sounds good to me. I mean, it doesn't sound great, but it doesn't really sound terrible either. So I think it's okay. One of the other lies or toxic beliefs that we have is whatever you want to believe is true for you is fine. Whatever I want to believe is true for me is fine. They're both true for each of us. No, they're not. You know, God sets the standard. What God says is true is true. Nothing else is. We have to examine it. We have to assess it. So how can we know which is the Spirit of God? I'll give you a hint. It's in verse 2. But how do we know which is the Spirit of God and which is the Spirit of the Antichrist? Anybody, just shout it out. So this is confession of Jesus Christ, which is crucial to this testing and examining of understanding. Is this a good truth? Is this a false, you know, belief? How do I examine this? Is this the spirit of God? Is this the spirit of the Antichrist? And the, the test is this, which seems wholly incomplete. One will confess Jesus Christ and one will not. Now, this is why you can just read over this and you can keep moving and you can just say, okay, I got it. I I confess Jesus is the Christ. Do you? Do you? Because confessing that Jesus is the Christ cannot be done simply by a statement of belief. It is impossible. And yet people in the church do it all the time. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Do you? Do you believe that? One of the things we try to teach our kids is that if you drop the most scrumptious snack ever known to man on a restaurant floor, 
even though in your mind it is still the exact same scrumptious snack, you do not do what? You don't pick it up and eat it. Now, dads, dads will give it a time limit. All right. It's not been down there long. Go ahead. Go for it. Moms, uh, no, no, no. There's no three-second rule. No, it's touched the floor. You don't eat it. Yeah, five-second rule. Spoken like a true guy. Like a true guy. Yes, a five-second rule. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, right, right. So, yeah, it's the same snack, but something has changed. Now it's infested, right? It's now infested with stuff. All right, we're losing control real quick here. All right. It's not the same to say, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. Here's what it means. If we're going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, this is what he's saying. So the Spirit of God confesses that Jesus is the Christ. John is not just saying Jesus is the Son of God. But if we're going to confess, yeah, I'm jumping way ahead. So just follow with me on the slides. If we're going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God, what are we saying? We're saying, and at very least, these seven things, if we're going to confess that Jesus is the Christ. Number one, we're going to be saying Jesus is God who literally came to earth in a human body. Like Jesus is a real person, literally is the son of God, God who created everything, who spoke and Jesus made it happen, literally came down in human form and walked among us. That's one thing that we say when we confess that Jesus is the Christ. The second thing that we're going to confess whenever we say that Jesus is the Christ is that Jesus is the true and only Savior of the world. Which will imply that I believe I'm in trouble and I need a Savior. So if I'm confessing that Jesus is the Christ, I'm saying Jesus is the true and only Savior. There's no other option out there that works. Number three, what we are also saying is that we are hopelessly lost without Jesus. Now, if you believe that you are hopelessly lost without Jesus, it will change everything about you. See, this is so different from just saying, yeah, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Son of God. We are hopelessly lost without Jesus, is what a confession of Jesus being the Christ means. Number four, what we are confessing is that what Jesus says is true. So therefore, there is a coming judgment. Therefore, without him, we are all lost. And that the alternative for being with him in heaven is that we will experience some level of pain if we don't know him. What Jesus says is true. And it's been said, and C.S. Lewis said, that either Jesus is who he said he was, or he was a lunatic. Because we can't have it both ways. And that is one of the primary things John's trying to argue against are those people that would say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, was a good man, good prophet, did good things, but not son of God. 
What Jesus says is true when we confess Jesus is the Christ. Number five, there is a Holy Spirit that dwells in us. Why? Because Jesus said so. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means that you have the Holy Spirit living within you. When I confess Jesus is the Christ, I am confessing the Holy Spirit lives within me. Again, do you see how far we've come from simply saying Jesus is the Son of God or Jesus is the Christ? See, just by saying the statement does not mean that we believe any of these other things. Number six, Jesus changes everything about us. It's the parable of the wineskins. You do not put new wine in old skins. It's all made new. You are a new creation. So if we confess Jesus as Christ, we are confessing that everything about us is changing. Number seven, and this is the killer for some of us. We submit to Jesus in every area of our lives. Maybe every should be softened to allow for growth but not softened to allow us to not submit <laughs> right because i'll be honest i don't submit in every area of my life but in more areas than i used to and i'm still working to be in every area of my life this is the part of sanctification we are learning we are in the process of submitting John Stott says, true faith examines its object before, re, before reposing confidence in it. In other words, I'm critically assessing whether I believe or want these things before I ever claim to confess Jesus is the Christ. So the Spirit of God is going to say, yes, all these seven things. And, and you could add more. This is not like the definitive theological list. But these are seven things that it does say. And the spirit of the Antichrist is going to deny those things. Don't have to submit. You don't have to follow what Jesus says if you don't agree with it. There are other ways to get to heaven. Jesus is a good person. Not really the son of God necessarily. But if you want to believe that, that's fine. You know, all these areas, but you, you, you don't have to submit because Jesus won't ever ask you to do something you don't want to do. You know, those are all things that the world will tell you. And that's the Antichrist. That's right. That is the Antichrist. We were reading letters to the church on our Wednesday night group before we, with men before we started with Acts. That's by Francis Chan. And one of the, the statements that I still just rings through my head it was a, a pastor overseas that talked about us here in America. And he said, what you call sanctification, we call prerequisite. In other words, you say, yeah, you need to get better at these things. And you, you can kind of agree to these things over time. What we say is, no, you don't actually know Jesus until you're already there. So you've got to already be there. And, and, and Scripture does seem to bear that out. We have a tendency to say, you know, just try. Just try your best. And again, Jesus said, you're in or you're not. There's no in-between. And it's something that should chill us to the bone for us to decide, Am I, do I really believe Jesus is the Christ? Let's jump down. How are we on time? We're doing, we're doing okay on time. 
What does verse 5 mean? This is verse 5. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from this is about the Antichrist, spirit of the Antichrist. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. What is John saying here? Right? wants to hear the message that reinforces what the world already believes and if we can adjust that message we will do that um paul actually spends quite a bit of time talking about a lot of these very same things and what i want to what i want to wrap i want to wrap up with two things um but one i want us to look at ephesians four eleven real quickly and this would fall under the test of how do we test these spirits. Uh, it, it is a bit simplistic to say, simply read the Bible. That is a bit simplistic, because that is not how Jesus described being his follower. Okay, if you want to follow me, just read the Bible. <laughs> you know, clearly, if you are a follower of Jesus who reads the Bible, you recognize that the Bible will lead you into all the other areas in which it looks like to follow him. So, in a very simplistic way, you could say, yeah, just read the Bible, and if you'll do it, then it will take you everywhere else you need to go, all right? But what Paul does is in Ephesians chapter 4 is he describes this more in the, in the realm of community, which is how the church is discussed. This is one of the reasons that we are called to love each other, and this is what Paul does, and he's talking about spiritual gifts and the roles, different roles within the church. Um, that people have. And he says, beginning with verse 11, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's what maturity looks like, the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. In other words, the the words of the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, it tells us sometimes what we want to hear, but what is absolutely false. So that we no longer be children tossed to and fray by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, and from the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, with each part, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There is a part of the community that is meant to assess what is true and what is not. Now, some of the false beliefs that we believe today that hurt us in this endeavor, the way I believe that this, what this is saying is God has equipped each of us to perform a role in the church, and each role is important for us to fully become the person Christ wants us to become. He never meant for your faith to be an individual sport. It was always a community activity. And in that community, we each have a role to play. He talks about our growing in the context of iron sharpening iron. And that is, a, that is an explosive process. It hurts. And yet many times what ends up happening within our lives is that we end up just staying with our people. And our people are those that we agree with. And we'll talk about an issue to death with our people. But we won't talk to somebody who has a different opinion from us. Because they're wrong, right? That's generally how the, the thinking goes. And yet what Paul is saying here is we have to be speaking the truth in love, which means at times we got to get in each other's faces in love, in love. And we've got to be speaking truth. It means that we should be able to get in a room and we should be able to disagree about stuff and we should be able to passionately disagree about stuff with us always, always looking for what is the truth that God says, this is the truth about this. But the reason we don't have those conversations is because we have believed the lie that you stay in your, your lane and you don't cross into someone else's lane. So now when you accidentally find yourself in a different lane, it's like, oh, oh, oh I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be here. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to leave. Where's my people at? Where's my people at? And I'm going to go hang out with them. In the church, it's us challenging each other. It's us calling each other out. It's us saying that is wrong. That is right. And it's the process of us going, well, what does God's word say? And it's someone saying, you know what? I've been through this. I've struggled through that. And this is what I came to the conclusion of with God's word about what this means. And this is a group exercise. This is not an individual only exercise. Certainly, there is a lot of individual time in God's word. But this is a group exercise. And what we find in this is that every believer has a part to play. Every believer has a part to play. If you are that person who has this replay reel in your head saying you're not good enough, you're not enough of a Christian, you're not smart enough, you don't love Jesus enough, you just can't articulate things enough, and so I'm just going to check out. If you're that person, you are an indispensable part of the body of Christ in which it cannot function fully without you. If you're on that replay loop that says, uh, boy, they're blessed to have me. Boy, I can just tell them what's real, what's right, and what's true. Oh, what a lucky group of people. And you need to recognize, you know what? You are just a small piece of the whole pie. And unless every person's involved, we are not fulfilling what God called us to be in a community. And community is what he talks about when he talks about the bride of Christ, the church. We are all necessary. Renee? So I have a question. Um, so 
So it's like the whole like loop where you're like, I'm not good enough. Like, but, and then there's the other, the opposite is I am good enough. But like, where's the in-between that you're supposed to, like, what are you supposed to think? Because if you think you're good enough, then mm. you're not recognizing yes. that you're a broken sinner, I feel like. Well, scripture, scripture would describe it as mutual submission, mutual dependence. What is that? It means we depend on each other. We submit to each other. We need each other. Each person has something to bring, and we learn from each other. We each have a, a place and a role to play. So, yeah, there, there is an in-between. And the in-between is, I have something to offer, but I need something from you, too. When I think I have everything to offer and I don't need anything, then we become very dogmatic. We become very legalistic. We become very much the star of our own story. And that's the way most people in the world live that don't experience Christ. When I believe like I have nothing to offer, then we deny the work of of God within us. We deny that the power of God is within us through the Holy Spirit. And that He has called us, that He is working through us, and He wants to do something in us. He is transforming us. We deny His power when we constantly say, I'm not good enough. Okay, there is a basic theological understanding. We are not good enough. We are all sinners. We all need Christ. But Jesus says, I will fill in all of your deficiencies. And you will become what I intended for you to be all along. So that's a good question. There is a happy medium. We each will, no one stays in the healthy place. You can't be healthy unless you're intentional. We, we will all move around. But we each have a part to play. I've got to wrap up. Also, testing is as much a community effort as an individual effort. I want you to understand that. Testing is a community effort. One of the reasons that I believe that John talks so much about loving each other is let's say you're doing these things. This is what what I want to close with this. When he talks about you need to love each other, one of the realities is if you're going to do this stuff, there's not a long line of people wanting to tell you good job. Okay? There's a whole lot of people who want to tell you you're a moron. You're stupid. You can't function in this world without a crutch. You're oppressive. You're judgmental. There's a whole list and line of people who are going to tell you all that's wrong with following Jesus because they are listening to the spirit of the Antichrist and it's what they want to believe because they want to reject Christ because ultimately every rejection of Christ is an embracing of self. That's the original sin. You can be like God. Every rejection of Christ is an embracing of self. Some of the messages that we sometimes believe, you know what? Just be about you. Just love you. And you know what? Just be friends with people who just love you. You know what? That is not the way Jesus ever talked. Ever. Go. He says, love your enemies. He says, turn the other cheek. And listen, it sounds great in a sermon to say, turn the other cheek. But when you've just had your cheek slapped, it does not feel good to turn it. And yet that's the way Jesus talked. We need each other. When we do life alone, when we start segregating ourselves over whatever stupid issue we segregate ourselves over, we deny the ability to encourage one another in a world 
in a reality in which the world wants to see us fall. And part of loving each other means that we have to stand together. Our students, if our students, you guys decide, I'm going to follow this stuff. I'm going to live this stuff out. I'm going to do this stuff. Jesus is real. I'm going to act, this is actually going to, this is who I am now. And you don't have any other believers at school that hang out with you that say, that's right, that's good. Then you're going to be at the mercy of everyone else in school that looks at you and says, you're weird. There is a part of this in which we stick together and we love each other because there is a shortage of people willing to do that in the way that Christ loves. And whenever we say, oh, you know, I love them. They're just, they're just so nice and smart and good looking and, you know, whatever. And then we say, oh, those people, I don't really hang out with those. I don't really like those people. And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, we need each other. We need to encourage one another. If we are not loving, supporting, helping one another, we are leaving our brothers and sisters on a battlefield without a weapon or a shield. That's what we do when we choose not to love each other. Now, you can define that however you want. Political party, the version of scripture that you like to read, uh, the kind of music you like to hear, a specific doctrine that is not central to uh, the faith of knowing Christ. You know, you may say, well, what is that? You know, like the way we take communion. Do we, do we dip or do we drink or do we peel the little thing and do it that way? You know, there's churches that get in big uproar over that. They get in a big uproar. You know, do we, do we baptize here? Do we sprinkle? Do we immerse? Do we go to the lake? People get upset about that stuff. And all the while, the spirit of the Antichrist looks and goes, yeah, this is awesome. Hey, come watch this. They're fighting about communion again. This is awesome. When we, when we stop loving, supporting, and helping each other, we're leaving each other on a battlefield where the spirit of the Antichrist wants to sway us, and we are without defense, and we're without weapon. That's one of the reasons that John is saying you need to love each other. You need to support each other. The world is not patting you on the back for following Jesus. At the end of this these section of verses, this part of John's encouragement begins at verse 4. It says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, the spirit of the Antichrist. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. But I love that he says we have overcome this because Jesus has overcome the world. So as you leave here today, I want to encourage you to know the tactics of the enemy, but be immersed in the truth from our Savior. Immerse yourself. Scripture talks about us letting Scripture just flow over us and in us. Immerse yourself in that. Utilize your community. Embrace your brothers and sisters in Christ and seek the truth that God says is true. Father, I thank you that you have given us not only your word, but people who can teach us what it looks like to follow you even when we get confused, whenever we misunderstand, whenever we 
have been manipulated. I pray that you would help us to discern between the spirit of truth that comes from you and the spirit that is false that comes from those who deny that you are truly the Christ. I pray that in this room, those who feel that they are alone, they're on the battlefield by themselves. Father, you would bring their church family around them to say, you were not alone. I pray you would open our eyes to see the people that are not only in this room, but the people that are not in this room to recognize we need to be here for them. We need to look for those that may be suffering. Look for those who may feel weak. Look for those who are off alone and go to them and draw them into this community. Father, I pray that we would ultimately be true to our confession that Jesus is the Christ. That we are fully submissive. We recognize you are our only Savior. We are hopelessly lost without you. Remind us of the beauty of being able to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.